a salesman was speeding down a country road one day when a farmer coming the opposite direction stuck his head out the window and hollered, Pig! The salesman, in response, stuck his head out the window and yelled, Fat cow! And as the salesman went around the corner, there was a big pig in the road, which he hit. Now what was the problem? The problem was how they saw things. What their world was like. The farmer believed you should look out for everyone else. And you should take care of them. So he was yelling a warning. The salesman saw it as an insult. So therefore his thoughts, his worldview was yell back at him. And scream back at him. It's called a paradigm, basically. So I want to talk about that just real quickly this morning, about what is a paradigm. Now, it's not two dimes or 20 cents, okay? So let's understand that quickly. A paradigm is a typical example or a pattern of something. It's a model, basically. It's a mindset. It is the way that we see things. It's the conceptual lens that colors everything we see. In other words, if I put red sunglasses on you, how would you see the world? Through what? Rose-colored glasses, right? You'd see everything as red. So I want you to understand this morning as we get to this passage that we're looking at, in fact, just one verse this morning, as we're going to look at this, we're going to see that people already have a mindset concerning the end times. They already have a mindset that has been given to them, and they believe this mindset. Now, I want to share, share with you the majority mind uh, paradigm, basically, that we have in our evangelical world today. Here's the mindset. The church age will end in apostasy and not revival because it's been destined by God. And therefore, judgment is coming, and after judgment, Christ will rule the world. Until then, the message and activity of believers should be flee the wrath to come by finding safety in Jesus. And in fact, if you look at most southern gospel songs or sing most southern gospel songs, and please, please, I don't want to get emails and I'm speaking against southern gospel. I sing Southern Gospel. I was raised on it because that's what my dad played on the piano and all his friends came over and they sang all the time. It was always about, we're going to be raptured out of here and the kingdom of God is going to be. Lord, please deliver me from this earth. Constantly, constantly in those kind of songs. That's the major paradigm. And it's been called the pessimistic paradigm. For example, some of the writers of this same kind of thought say it says, we are witnessing in this 20th century the collapse of civilization. It's obvious that we are advancing towards the end of the age. I can see no bright prospects through the effort of man for the earth and its inhabitants. And another one has stated this. He said, Christians have no immediate 
solution to the problem of our day, to attempt to establish a long-term change of institutions before Christ returns will only result in the leaven of humanism permeating orthodox Christianity. Now, this was written in the 1970s by John Walford, one of the big proponents of dispensationalism. Now, notice what it says. We said this in the voice of Igor, you know, that great theologian. Christian have no solution to the problem. That's why it's called the pessimistic look. And what I want you to understand is I'm going to ask you to move from pessimism to what? To optimism as we look at this. So I'm going to ask you this morning just some things to consider. I want to ask you to consider a paradigm shift, if you don't mind. And here's the way we're going to do it. That verse 14, that we're going to read in just a moment, was fulfilled by AD 70. That the abomination of desolation took place during the siege of Jerusalem and not something consigned to a future rebuilt temple. And that the great tribulation has already taken place. I know that's a hard shift for most of us that were raised in something absolutely different. Because I was raised in that same philosophy itself. But I'm just going to ask you to consider those kind of things. So we're going to look at one verse this morning. It's in verse 14. I want you to put your finger there. But I want you to see the majority belief about verse 14 first of all. This is what... It says in the popular encyclopedia of Bible prophecy. By the way, have you ever, ever heard of the popular encyclopedia of biblical prophecy? How many of you have heard of that? Raise your hand. It's not so popular, is it? So, okay, good. So that's just one of the things to understand. Matthew 24, 14 says, they say it's a future event. It parallels Revelation 14, 6 through 7. Both passages, now this is an important sentence, listen to it. Both passages are set in context that tell us that this global evangelization will take place just before the middle of the seven-year tribulation. They were no more fulfilled during the nativity of the church than was the Great Commission. Go back to that sentence. Both passages are set in context that tell us it's going to occur in the middle of a seven-year tribulation. So I'm going to ask some questions, just two questions. I want you to think about this with me. Where in Matthew 24, as we've been reading and we've been studying, is there a mention of a seven-year tribulation? Someone say nowhere. Good, you're right. Nowhere does it say that in context. This is what they stated. In context, in both set are set in context, is what those authors say. But the next question, where does the context state anything about evangelization occurring in the middle of a tribulation? It's not in there. But they say it is. It's in the middle of the context. Where? No, it's not. It's not there. It's not at all. So we have to let the Bible speak as the Bible speaks. So what does it say? Let's, let's read it together. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then 
the end will come. You remember what he's saying. As we look in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, they came and talked to him, and they asked him a question. Well, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? Of the close of the age. That is what Jesus is speaking to them about when it says this verse. He talks about, and we looked at it last week, that there are going to be many that's going to come in my name. There's going to be false prophets, false messiahs, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. We talked about how all those things occurred in that 40-year period from AD 30 by the time Christ was crucified until the destruction of Jerusalem. Earthquakes were happening then. Famines were happening then. Wars were happening then. False prophets and false Christs were happening then. And after that, Jesus says these very words. He says it's going to be, the gospel is going to be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What end is he talking about? It's the same end that they just asked in verse 3. That the disciples asked, the end is the end of the Jewish age. But the majority paradigm, however, has, it says this. The gospel must be literally heard by all nations, that is, every person, before Jesus will come again. In fact, one of the authors of this Bible prophecy encyclopedia said, how could this be fulfilled because the gospel was not preached in the Western Hemisphere, was it? Okay. Now, we can take that same kind of logic and we can add that to Luke chapter 2, verse 1, where Luke tells us that Augustus Caesar decreed a tax that the whole world would be taxed. Certainly they don't believe the Western Hemisphere was taxed, do they? No, it wasn't. And if we take this literally, that the gospel must be heard by all nations before Jesus will come again, let's follow the logic, please. Christ would never come. For there are babies being born every second across the world that haven't heard the gospel yet. And there will always be babies born. How long do we have to wait for the next baby to be born to be able to understand it? What age are they going to be able to understand the gospel? With that kind of logic, guess what? Jesus will never come. Because not everyone has heard the gospel. So, here's where we're going to ask this question. Is this, has the gospel been preached to all the world? Now, when we come to a scripture like this, we have to understand and say, well, this is a little bit obscure. So we're going to have to look at several things. One of those things we're going to have to look at is words and also what the scriptures say about it. Remember, we take the majority of the scripture to understand the obscure. We're going to look at those this morning. So there are three words that need to be understood. The first one is the word cosmos. Cosmos. All the people, basically it means in Greek, all the people of the world understood according to the place in which human beings live. That could be everyone in the world. It could be a certain portion of the world. The Bible tells us in this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because God did love the world. And that's the place where human beings live. But also we have another word called oikomune or oikomene. It means the inhabited world. 
the world in it, or the inhabited earth, or the Roman Empire. The third word is ethnos. The word ethnos is a large group of people based upon, as you can read, various cultural, physical, and geographical ties. And oftentimes, it's used as the word Gentiles. It's the same word in Greek describing Gentiles. That's what it's talking about. This is what we have to understand if we're going to understand this passage. Now, what word does Jesus use? He uses the term oikemene, it says, which means the inhabited world as they knew it. As they knew it. It says this gospel got to be preached into this inhabited world as we know it, have known it. In fact, to the Romans, when they use the word oikomene, it means what? The Roman Empire. To the Greeks, it was all the countries that spoke that language. To the Jews, it was everyone in the land of Palestine with all this tribe, and later on, all the areas where they were scattered during that time. So if you want to know where is the Roman Empire, look at all the, script, look at all the colored places right there. It goes all the way over. Look to your right. You see the Mediterranean Sea. You know, there's little Israel right there. All the way up into Britain. That is the whole Roman Empire. So was the gospel preached to these places? That's what we have to ask to answer this question. What was Jesus talking about? Well, let's see what the scripture has to say. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. Listen to what it says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed, where? In the whole world. The term world there is used as cosmos. The entire inhabited world. Isn't that interesting? It is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. He goes on in verses 22 and 23. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above approach before him. Indeed, if you continue in the faith... Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. The Greek word basically means every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Isn't that amazing? Every creature has heard the gospel, according to what Paul has to say. When was this written? It was written between A.D. 62 and 64. So in 34 years from the time of the death of Christ until Paul wrote this, it says that the gospel has gone out and been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. He goes on in Romans and he states this. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. There again is the word Cosmos. He goes on in Romans 10, 16 through 18. 
and he says this, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Let me stop real quickly before you read that. Do you understand the context, what you say? In chapter 10, you know it if you learned it from the Roman road when you were in VBS or in Sunday school teaching people how to come to know the Lord by using Romans. One of the passages is Romans chapter 10. It tells us, it says, how can people hear? How can people understand unless they have a preacher, unless they have a messenger that is coming and telling them about it because they need to know that Jesus Christ is available to them for Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, verse 13, shall be saved. So he goes on and says, have they not obeyed the gospel? Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed uh, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask you, have they not all heard? This is what Paul is saying to those he's writing to. Have they not all heard? Indeed, listen to what it says, they have for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Two different words there. Cosmos and Oikomenon. This has gone out. This preaching of the gospel has gone out. Then it says at the end of Romans, he concludes, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations, all ethnos, all Gentiles, all the people, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. So, how then was this gospel Preached to all the nations. Most of you are familiar with the book of Acts. You remember the festival of the Feast of Pentecost. When Jews from all over the lands came and gathered in Jerusalem for this big feast. And Luke writes, And now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every ethnos, nation under heaven. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues. The mighty works of God. What happened after the Feast of Pentecost? Where did they go? Back to their nations. Back to their cities. Because the gospel had been preached to them, what did they do? They went out and preached the gospel to the entire known world at the time. In fact, Philip Doddridge stated in the family expositor. Now this is 1807. It appears, he says, from credible records that the gospel was preached in and by Jude. You know, he's got one of those books in the Bible, right? Y'all have all read the second chapter, haven't you? If you're not, yes. You're lying to me. There's only one chapter. Okay, so, also, you remember the unit in the book of Acts, Candace's unit that got saved? Where did he go? And Matthias preached it in 
Ethiopia, Peter preached in Pontus, Galatia, and the neighboring parts of Asia. John preached in the territories of the seven Asiatic churches. And we'll talk about this when we get over to look at some themes in the book of Revelation. That those churches do not represent seven different ages. It doesn't. If you keep it in context and you look at it and see, those do not represent seven different ages. They represent seven literal churches. And Peter and John preached to some of these, John specifically. Matthew preached in Parthia. Philip and Andrew went to Scythia. Bartholomew went to northern and western Asia. Simon and Jude also went into Persia. The apostle Thomas preached in Media, Carmania, and several eastern parts. Now get this. Paul went from Jerusalem to Lyricum, Italy. Remember in Romans he says he wants to get up to Spain. He went to Spain, Gaul, and Britain. In other words, Christian churches were planted in less than 30 years after the death of Christ, which was before the destruction of Jerusalem. So here's some paradigm shifts I want you to think about, to consider. Just consider it. You don't have to believe like I believe, but I do want you to search the scriptures. Be like the Bereans. Here's something to consider. Matthew 24, 14 was fulfilled. And the Great Commission is continuing today. It is continuing. Christ's redemption and his kingdom will exercise a transformational socio-cultural influence in history. Folks, let me just make a side note. Oftentimes we view the world with blinders on. We don't go back to the point of the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to see what Christianity has done through the centuries and how it's transformed things through the centuries. We have a tendency just to look at our little world with everything that's going on in it today and believing that all things pessimistically are going to hell in a handbasket and so therefore we are just it's just terrible. It's, it's absolutely wild. Uh -oh. We don't know what we're going to do. Let's go hide under a rock until Jesus comes. Folks understand, his kingdom exercises transformational, social, cultural influence in history. And it has. And it has. Dear folks, let me ask this question. You ever heard the term hospital? You ever been in one? Oh, God forbid. Right? But guys, do you know of any person in the first century, any group of people beginning hospitals? Even to this day, do you know any atheist groups starting hospitals? At all? Did you know the term hospital, if you go back to historians and theologians, began by Christians? And has influenced, did you know that today the Catholic Church has over 18,000 medical hospitals throughout the world. They own 26% of all hospitals in the world. Did you know that? Catholic Church. There's that influence there. Had it not been for Christians and reaching out, there would not be this transformational influence. Folks, we live in a country, guess what? That began by this Christian 
influence as the gospel spread and came to here. Folks understand that Christ's redemption is kingdom does this kind of thing. And what we need to believe is shift needs to believe that scripture teaches that the success of the great commission in this age of the church is going to happen. Why? Jesus is going to build his church. That's what he says. He's going to build his church. So I'm going to get you just to think about this. Is the great commission working? Is it working? Okay. Let's think. Christianity by continent in Africa. More than 600 million Christians live in Africa. That's in five, that's just in five regions. In Asia, nearly 4 million Christians live in Asia, five regions. And I told you, I believe last week or the week before, in China, by 2035, they're saying there will be 300 million just in China. Why are they cracking down? Why are they trying to close churches? Why are they trying to stamp this out? Because of the transformational, social, cultural influence that Christianity will have to wipe out communism in their friend. They're afraid. Right? We read it this morning. The world's going to hate them. Absolutely. It's going to hate them. But will the gospel prevent? Look at this. About 550 million Christians live in Europe, representing about one-fourth of the global Christian population. Look where the highest was at. Russia. Who would have thought? It's in Russia. In Germany, 58 million. In Latin America, there are 600 million Christians. In North America, around 230 million. In Oceania. There's 25 million. I had to look this up. Oceania? Is that a state? Never heard of it. Well, here it is. It's the islands throughout Central and Southern, uh, the South Pacific. It includes Australia as well. Let's look at Christians. Has this been influenced? Has the gospel gone out? Has the Great Commission worked? Well, think about this. In the unevangelized world, in the non evangelized world, there are 20,500 full time Christian workers and 10,200. Foreign missionaries. In the evangelized non-Christian world, there are 1.31 million full-time Christian workers and about 5,400 foreign mission sending agencies. Not missionaries. These are sending agencies. Brother Philip told me this week, he read a statistic that South Korea in the next 10 years are going to be sending more missionaries than the United States. South Korea. They're sending people here to evangelize us here in the West. They know about us. In the Christian world, there are 450,000 foreign missionaries to other Christian lands. Also, 4.19 million full-time Christian workers work within the Christian world. Dear friends, did you know also that there's 20, over 22,000 higher education universities throughout the world. 22,000. Did you know that places like Harvard, Yale, Princeton were all Christian colleges before they drifted? They were established on Christian principles. Nowadays, if you go look up, you'll look at USA, just Google 
one that says how many Christian universities, and they will list one after another, and they don't cover every one of them at all. But let's look at something different. It's a great commission working. We know that the distribution of Bibles, and they get the Word of God in their hand, because the Word of God does not come back what? It doesn't come back void. It accomplishes it. If people open up the Bible, they begin reading, they will get saved. Did you know that 93 million Bibles are being distributed globally per year? There are approximately 9.5 million books about Christianity in print today. We have 1.5 million in our library right back here. You know what I mean? You can pick up some and just walk out. We don't care. Just use them. Okay? We also have to understand we get this about persecution all the time. And we hear, oh, the Christians are being persecuted. Are they? Yes, they are. We understand that. But to what extent? 160,000 Christians are martyred for their faith per year. That's tragic enough. But it's not in the millions that we hear. And we hear from those who are pessimistic about this kind of thing. According to Open Doors, 11 Christians are killed in the world each day for the decision to follow Jesus Christ. And you see the most dangerous places. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, and India. This next slide should tell you something, folks. We've talked about this. Let me read it. As of 1979, there were 500 known Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. In 2005, it was estimated that there were 40,000 ethnic Iranian Christians. That number grew to about 175,000 Christians in 2010, according to the Joshua Project. Today, the average estimates of Christians within Iran range from 300,000 to upwards of 1 million, according to some mission experts. Operation World Missions Research Organizations continues to list Iran as having the fastest growing evangelical church in the world. In fact, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in, previous, in the previous 1,300 years since Islam came to Iran. Google some things about Iran, folks, about Christians, things that are happening. You would not believe how this gospel has gone. In fact, some of the Iranian Christian leaders have stated that people have come to them Asking them questions about Jesus because some person in some form, either as an angel or something, has appeared to them to speak to them. I just, I just read those testimonies. It's just absolutely amazing of what God is doing in Iran. In Algeria, dear folks, the second most populated. Arab country in the world. In 2010, they had 10,000 Christians. In 2020, they had 500,000 Christians. Muslim countries. These are things that are happening throughout the world. Is the Great Commission having success? Yes, it is. Is it transforming societies? Yes, it is. And so we have to understand this is positive. We don't need to hunker down and get in our foxholes and say, oh, please, please, Jesus, rapture me now. We have stuff we need to do. 
Because the Great Commission is going to now begin to have an effect as we get out and share the gospel with people. So here's some closing thoughts I want you to think about today. We are to believe that this Great Commission is to be successful and believe the words of Jesus Christ who says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Satan is not in control. God is in control. Jesus is in control. All authority has been given unto him in heaven and earth, and he is going to build his church. It's going to keep on going, so we are to believe that. And then we are to believe that we need to influence every part of society with the gospel, every part of it with the gospel. What did Jesus tell us to do? Go and be salt and light. Don't hide it under a bushel. Set it up on a hill. Set it up on a pedestal. Get out there. Be salt and light. That's what he's telling us to do. So what else are we supposed to believe? We are to start in our own Jerusalem. Where is our own Jerusalem? Tarkington Prairie. Of all things, we're going to start in Tarkington Prairie. But where in Tarkington Prairie do we start? First and foremost, in your home. Dads and moms discipling their children, teaching them the gospel, leading their children to a Christian worldview. We must prepare this generation to give an answer to the world's non-Christian's position. You know why socialism has captured the minds of young people today? It's one of the tenets of socialism and communism. Attack the young. Teach the young. Get the young. And so they've poured millions upon millions of dollars into educational systems that are teaching something that is absolutely ungodly. Folks, understand this about socialism. and You're seeing it throughout the news and throughout our government and throughout all our institutions. Understand it's a violation of the second and eighth commandment. The second commandment basically tells us we're not going to have any gods that we're going to worship. And what socialism says, worship your government. They are going to be the ones who provide for you instead of Almighty God. That's a violation of the commandment. And then the eighth commandment it says, thou shalt not steal. All of this stuff about redistribution of wealth is basically saying, I'm going to take what is not mine because you're going to be forced to give it to me. In other words, we're going to steal it from you and give it to you. That is a violation of what the Bible says. And so, how in the world is it continue to spread? I'm going to throw this out, folks. I don't care if it gets me in trouble with you or not. I'm going to stand upon it, and I'm going to say it over and over and over again. We haven't given our children training in Christian viewpoint, world viewpoint, to be able to defend the faith. And so when they get their mushy little minds, their multiple little minds, into government schools who are going to transform them and try to rearrange them, and by the time they get to college, they begin to believe everything that those professors say, which 94% of the professors in liberal education in college say that they are liberals, and most of them say they're socialists. And we keep on sending them to these kinds of schools so that their brains can be turned mush.
and they don't know how to defend the faith, and they hear some of these professors spout all this stuff, and they go, oh, 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 that makes sense. They don't know how to defend it. They don't know how to discern it. They don't know how to think about it. So how in the world do we help parents? I'm going to say this again. I said this before, and I brought it up. We need to start a school. I'll say it again. We need to start a school, a Christian school. One that says we will train children up in a way that they should go as a help to these parents, not replacing the parents, but teaching them Christian worldview so they can stand and they can say if we're going to go to college, we're not going to take this. We're going to stand up and stand our ground and say this is what the Lord says. We need to do it. We need to do it. So I'll put that out as a challenge. Can we do it as small as we are? You better believe we can. You absolutely better believe we can because we have a great God who can provide all the resources that we need to do something like that. But where else can we start? How about in your workplace? You want to transform a workplace? Folks, be the best worker in the planet. Be the best worker in the bank. Be the best worker in the business, wherever you work, that you will get promoted to leadership positions within that, and then you get to wield your influence over your colleagues. You see, work, according to those reformers, work was an act of worship. They said, give of your best to your work as you're working for the Lord, not unto men. And so, therefore, you can have now, as you worship through your work, you put your all into your work, you get promoted into those positions where you will influence. That's how you transform our society. Third thing is this. Equip yourselves to share the gospel. Equip yourselves to share the gospel. You want to know how to renew our society? It's through individual regeneration. No president, no political party can change the heart. It's only Jesus Christ. And that means we have to share the gospel. Have you equipped yourself to share the gospel? Can you lead somebody to the Lord? If someone walked up to you and said, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian. Can you tell me about it? Can you do it? Can you open the scriptures and take them through the scriptures and can you then say, this is how you are saved? Folks, please don't use this terminology. Please don't say, well, you know what? If you want to be a Christian, all you got to do is ask Jesus in your heart. No. Millions have done that to where they are. Trusting in a little phrase and a little, and a little formula. And yet there's been no life change. But folks, if you want to share the gospel, you must know. As Christians, you want to transform uh, society, you must know how to take someone through the scriptures to lead them to Christ. You must. So therefore, I'm going to challenge you to get equipped. Get equipped and learn how to share the gospel. One of the best ways you can do it, folks, let me give you this website. It's called livingwaters.com. Go to Living Waters and watch it. You can see little things on the YouTube or on their station. They teach you and tell you how to share the gospel. It's called the way of the master. It's the way of what Jesus used. 
how to share the law with people so that they would understand what sin is and they would see, receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's how that happens. So share the gospel. Folks, understand this. Here's what I believe. You don't have to believe like this. This is what I believe in closing. I believe that the gospel is going to go forth and God is going to accomplish that great commission because Jesus says he will build his church that before Jesus comes to rule and to reign, I believe that every nation, every nation in this wide world over time will come under the influence of the gospel. And that gospel will influence what they do as a society. I believe that that is going to happen, and then God is going to set up that earthly rule. That, I believe, is going to happen. Not everyone is going to be saved, but there's going to be a great, great number of people throughout the world that will be saved, and their societies will be transformed, and they will live by Christian principles that will be put into practice, whether this is going to take a thousand more years or whatever it's going to be. But you see how rapidly... Christianity is growing. As we said throughout the world, you saw these statistics, and it keeps on going. But if it's going to happen here in the United States, understand this. Christians must share the gospel. So prepare yourself to share the gospel, if you would. Let's pray.